Well, hello, and this is as much of a surprise to me as it is to you. It's a one-off special of How to Wow, a pop-up where we are joined by Professor Dame Sarah Gilbert and Dr. Catherine Green, two of the leading scientists whom, with their respective teams, created the now world-famous virus-crushing Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Their brand-new book, Vaxxers, separates fact from fiction and explains how they came up with and managed to roll out worldwide their vaccine in record time with the eyes of planet Earth watching. It's out now, and we urge anyone and everyone to buy it. And I am also very happy to tell you that this extra special podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Athletic Greens. Every morning, Tash, my wife, and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity and digestion deep seaweed green like nature itself this eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds like no more than five or six okay ten tops to prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous and so here's how you can get yours Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. OK, and don't forget slash how to wow, because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given how to wow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel free packs today to take with you on the go once again. Athletic greens.com slash don't forget how to wow okay so now you know where to go to for your super supplementation it's time to cue the conversation we were gifted this book yesterday we had a few copies uh, distributed between the team uh, we now all agree we conquer it's definitely the most important book we've ever read maybe the best book we've ever read dapper dave is going to interview one sorry introduce rather one half of the duo and the other half hopefully will be online uh, during our chat dapper dave over to you if it wasn't for the genius of our next guest lockdown may very well have become normal the new book vaxes is out now so if you like so many others have a fascination with vaccination Please prepare for your first dose of Dr. Catherine Green. <laughs> Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. Nice to speak to you. Nice to speak to you. What a joy. What an honour. What an absolute pleasure. What a book. What a story. Um, and the anecdote with which you open the book, you go camping in August 2020. You queue up for a pizza. What happens next, Doctor? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the lady in front of me in the pizza queue, who was a super nice lady with a very cute dog, um, was just saying to, happened to be a friend of mine, um, how she was unsure about the vaccine. She was concerned that she didn't know what was in it and perhaps was concerned that it was made by them, some large global pharma company who can't be trusted, perhaps. And I'd already been in conversation with... Um, some people about whether we would ever write a, a story of the vaccine development over 2020. And I think that was the final push for me to realise that perhaps we do need to tell this story. We have to sit down and write it in a long form, but in a hopefully accessible way to explain to people who we are, that we're not them, we're us. We're just two regular women. Well, in fact, hundreds of scientists at Oxford University doing our jobs 
trying to make the vaccine under difficult circumstances, but the same circumstances that everybody was living in in 2020. And that's kind of where it all started. So we should thank this um, um, unqualified sceptic uh, for uh, the, the, the fact she was saying this out loud and you overheard her. What did you say to her? So I was I was there on a campsite in the bottom of Snowdonia and it was it was to say that we do know what's in this vaccine. It has been made in a very careful way, building on decades of research that Sarah Gilbert, who I think you're trying to get on the phone, but isn't turning up just yet. Um, so Sarah's been working on this project for 20 years. We've been planning for how do we make vaccines against new diseases, either outbreaks that occur um, in limited geographical areas or perhaps for a pandemic. So we did have a, a huge basis of research on which we were building the foundations for vaccine development in a, in a crisis situation. And then we did everything carefully and properly. And we will tell you exactly what's in it um, because we know what's in it because my team made the very first batch. I mean, we held it in our hands. I can really tell you what's in it. And what was her reaction? Um, well, I think she was a bit surprised to find a vaccine expert standing behind her in a pizza queue in Snowdonia. But she listened to me. Mm. And I think that that's, that's all we're asking. Um, you know, with social media, it's very easy for there to be lots of, of information out there. And some of it comes from sources which are dubious or perhaps just slightly incorrect. Um, I just wanted to tell her the reality and the, and the truth of the situation and get good quality information out and available to people so that the decisions that they then make are based on, on, on well-informed, good information, yeah? Yeah, and um, little did she know who she was standing next to, the, the poor woman. Mm. But thanks to her, as I say, you've written this book. You know, that, that, yeah. was, the, that was the sort of straw that broke the camel's back. And thank, thank heaven you have written the book. It's an amazing tale, anyhow. The way you write it, the way you dovetail chapters between yourself and Sarah is, is, is so harmonious and so perfect and makes it so much more easy for us to sort of take on board the funny side of it, the frustrating side of it, uh, the, the, the flipping genius side of it, of course, as well. Um, you talk about August 2020. Uh, a lot of us managed to get a week or two away there. We actually went to Venice because we're allowed to. Um, yeah. Uh, in between lockdown 2.0 and then the third, much more severe lockdown, which sort of uh, took us all by surprise. Perhaps not you so much, but the rest of us. So we were eight months into the story when you went camping for your warm wine and your cold pizza with this lady <laughs> in the queue. Um, eight months into the story of the the virus, but also eight mon months into the story of your vaccine. Because upon hearing about um, the vaccine on New Year's Day, um, in between that and you creating a vaccine, the vaccine that we now know as the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine was just 26 days. How come you could do, do it so quickly this time around when in the past it's taken years, centuries and sometimes an infinite amount of time because certain research was due to certain, uh, with regards to certain viruses is still ongoing? Well, that's right. So, I mean, it's a very different time that we're living in now in 2020 than we were living in when the record previously for developing a vaccine, which was the mumps vaccine in the 1960s. So science has come on a long way since the 1960s. And we have a lot of tools and methods and engineering strategies available to us that we didn't have in the 1960s. So that's one thing. Modern science is better. We know more. We have better strategies. Sarah has been working on developing this platform technology for making vaccines against a whole variety of viruses. And we've used that in Oxford to make vaccines against influenza, tuberculosis, malaria, rabies, plague, and these outbreak pathogens. So pathogens which come 
out um, and, and infect small numbers of people in localised geographical areas like Lassa virus or Nipah. Um, and so we've been trying to make vaccines against those diseases, which are really serious diseases, but don't spread currently. They're generally contained in outbreaks. So the technology that we're using for the vaccine, we knew what to do. Yeah? Sarah's team already knew how to design vaccines. And she'd already done a vaccine against a different coronavirus, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome virus, that she'd put through clinical trials, and we knew that that was safe in, in human populations and was, was giving good immune responses. So we had a lot of background to go on. We also knew how to manufacture it, and that's important. So that's what my team do. We make the vaccine, really high-quality material to go into the clinical trials, and we knew how to do that already. So in the early stages of 2020, when Sarah started to realise we might need to make a vaccine against this new coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, everything was in place for us to just get going. As we say in the book, what we needed was funding more than anything, and Sarah spent a lot of time in just um, February, March, even through to April, trying to get the money for us to be able to go as quickly as we wanted to and to get the trial set up. But what we were going to do was never in question because of the, the history that we have. Oh, my goodness. Sarah's on the line now. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Chapter 2, Disease X, the 1st of the 10th of January 2020. Uh, one of Sarah's chapters on New Year's Day 2020. I was sitting at my desk at home, going through my work emails and browsing a few news websites. Confirmed cases, 4 to 59. This is in the world. Confirmed deaths still at zero. I checked in with ProMed Mail, a site that reports on disease outbreaks around the world, and something caught my attention. There were reports of pneumonia of unknown cause in Wuhan, China. Four cases with high fever and pneumonia not responding to antibiotics. First patient worked at a seafood market. Interesting, you say, and some. What happened next? Well, what happened next was um, I started following the updates on that website over the coming days as more information was known about this, what was originally a very small outbreak of something that I did think looked interesting because um, it was pneumonia, um, unknown origin, and gradually the story began to unfold that it was viral and it wasn't one of the viruses that we already know about, like influenza. Uh, and sometimes in China, there have been outbreaks of avian influenza, so the flu that, that uh, birds get, particularly chickens, uh, and then that can infect people as well. That's happened quite a number of times, but it wasn't avian influenza or any other kind of influenza. And it wasn't an adenovirus. And then we got the news it was a coronavirus. And that was even more interesting to me because as Kath was saying, I'd worked on making a vaccine against a different coronavirus. And so if this new um, virus that we needed to make a vaccine for was also a coronavirus, we knew how we were going to approach it because we'd already made a vaccine Previously, we need the gene, the sequence that codes for the spike protein, the protein that's found on the surface of the virus. We put that into our vaccine technology and we're ready to go. Right. So, so it's like laying the foundations for a building, but not quite knowing what the building is. And it's not as simple as just putting a different roof on, but it's somewhere in between, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, we've done a lot of preparation before we know what disease we need to make a vaccine against. And that's been going on for many, many years, as Kath says, all aspects of it, not just how to produce it in the first place, but how we're going to manufacture it ready for clinical trials, how we're going to store it, what dose we want to use. All of that work's already been done. And that means there's a lot less to do once we know what the disease is and we make the final version of the vaccine. And so how come, um, Kath, you are the Lennon and McCartney of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine? Who fulfills which roles? Oh, that's tricky, isn't it? Um, Sarah's glasses are cooler than mine, so she can be Lennon and I'll be McCartney. <laughs> All right, OK. <laughs> but what does that mean in lay terms? <laughs> well, Sarah, 
Sarah's leading this project. So Sarah is having to pull together all of the really complicated strands. And I think she talks about in the book about how she's having to plan everything at once. We don't do, in a crisis situation as we were in, what Sarah had figured out very early is we can't go sequentially through the process like we would normally do. So we would normally do lots of tests in the research laboratory with some research grade material. And then we get the evidence that that's working okay. And then go on to the phase one trial. So I would manufacture a small batch and we'd check that was okay. And then we'd start recruiting volunteers for that. Everything would be linear, sequential. But this time, because we knew we'd have to get there as quickly as possible, we were doing everything in parallel. So we were manufacturing vaccine at really high grade for clinical deployment before we even knew if the vaccine worked. That's a huge at-risk cost of commitment of time and of finances, of money. And we can't normally do that. We don't normally have the funds to do that for other types of vaccine. So Sarah is keeping all of this project on track, juggling all of the different arms of the octopus, trying to make sure that nothing gets missed out because we're doing a very intensive workload, five years of work in five months. So that's it, Kath, extolling the virtues of working with Sarah. Sarah, would you like to return the favour? Yeah, well, Cass really um, galvanised her team and got them manufacturing the vaccine in a very short space of time. They've done this many times before. They understand the process very well, but this time we needed them to go really quickly. So they put in a huge amounts of effort, led by Cath, to get all of the work done in the shortest space of time. And that involved working double shifts and working weekends. So normally it would be a, a slightly more leisurely process, but that wasn't the case this time. They got through everything. They planned everything that they needed to do. They made sure some were sent off for testing at the earliest possible opportunity and there was no delay anywhere in the process. The diary is a diary of wonder and pioneering and uh, amazing revelations and discoveries. It's breathtaking from a reader's point of view. I've got to tell you both that. I'm sure you know this anyway. Your book has received amazing five-star reviews, as it should have done. It has to be number one around the world. I mean, Charlie Mackesy, uh, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. Finally, a book is coming to get you, and it's called Vaxxers. Uh, but it is also a tale of frustration, ongoing frustration, you know, uh, from the early days uh, right the way through to the vaccine rollout vaccine suspension in Europe, Anthony Fauci saying something, um, misspeaking about it, misinformed about your vaccine as opposed to other vaccines, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine over in the States. Um, and also this funding. So let's start with the funding frustration. How much money did you have available to you in January to come up with this vaccine that, that has done and will save not millions, not tens of millions, not hundreds of millions, but billions of lives going into the future? How much money did you have in your, your R&D bank account in January 2020? Well, for this particular project, um, a few thousand pounds, because most research funding is given for a very specific purpose. And uh, we can't just take that money and, and change our minds and do something different with it. We have to commit to doing the work that we said we would do with the money that we've been awarded. And I was fortunate to have just a small amount of money that was available for sort of general vaccine research. And that's what we were able to use to get this going with the, with the very early bits. And then um, there was the opportunity to apply for um, Research Council funding. There was a call that came out in February, a very rapid review process. Uh, so I wrote an application for that. It was a much shorter application than usual, fortunately, and quick turnaround. And we got that funding. That was about two and a half million pounds then. Um, we also got a little bit of money for, I think it was, $400,000 from CEPI to, to help us on, on the next stage in between. But 
as soon as we had any of these amounts of money awarded, we'd already planned several steps ahead and we knew we needed a lot more. So it was great to have some money coming in, but we were always looking ahead to the next stage and realising we were going to need more funding. And that didn't really come through until the end of April. And that was the result of the Vaccines Task Force, which um, was formed by then and had been doing a review of all the vaccines that are in development and deciding which ones they would invest in. And they chose to invest in our vaccine as long as, along with a number of others. And we were very grateful for that funding because we really needed it at that point to expand our clinical trials. This is also a tale about keeping you cool, uh, like I've never heard before, because you knew what you were doing and you created this vaccine 26, within 26 days of the first report of the first case of what we now know as COVID-19 being uh, talked about in Wuhan in the, on the 1st of January 2020. Um, and the frustration comes because of many um, sort of... Uh, um, uh, un uninformed and really extraordinarily irresponsible and news lines put out there and of course you know like Vasa said on the show earlier on uh, the truth is half around the sorry the a lie is half around the world before the truth has got its pants on and people <laughs> can't wait to retweet this kind of stuff and this came back at you didn't it in not just one tsunami of misinformation but many 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 and they, they they kept on coming and all the time you two had to keep you cool and not crack how close did you get to cracking what was the most frustrating thing you had to overcome and, and where are you with frustration now both of you Kath first so I, I mean I guess the problem is of course that the truth in science is often very complicated or at least more complicated than a than a quick headline or a quick story and when people get facts wrong and as you say they transmit around the world very rapidly that's very frustrating because part of our job and part of our mission has always been to get the evidence and the data which being generated on this vaccine out there in a completely comprehensive manner because we want to make sure that everybody can read it so our data is published we do press releases but sometimes the story is rather more complicated than just a single number and so it's easy sometimes for journalists to just perhaps when they're trying to compress the story into into a short piece to miss some of the nuance or just not have time to understand some of the nuance or perhaps just as you say copy another story that's already been out there and maybe slightly inaccurate so that is really frustrating to us because it's important that we try and and, and give clarity but sometimes the reality is things are complicated and nuanced and it takes a bit of time and part of us writing the book is it gives us that opportunity to write things in a longer form and perhaps delve into some of the more nuanced and contextual situations so um yeah it is frustrating but yeah you know science is complicated we we have to keep our cool scientists tend not to be too hot-headed we swear a bit at home about the <laughs> about the about some of the headlines but we wouldn't say that in public sarah well, one of the, the things that happened quite early on, just after our clinical trial started, was there were news reports coming from an international news site that the first volunteer in our trial had died, which was obviously completely false. But it, that created a huge problem, not just because it was um, a lie going around the world, but for, to think about the, the family of this volunteer who um, probably knew that she was mm -hmm. taking part in the trial. And then they were picking up news that she died. So um, there was a lot of effort had to be put into you know, getting the story straight. Uh, and when you actually looked at what was written, it didn't make any sense that, you know, more people had died that had been vaccinated, according to the news website. So if you, if you even read their own article, you could see it was all completely crazy. But you know, that was very uh, distressing because we felt it was 
you know, really bad for somebody who'd come along, uh, not only volunteered to be one of the first people vaccinated in the trial, but to talk to the press about it, because she's a scientist as well. And she wanted to um, explain what she was doing and, and what her experience was like. Uh, and then to have this thrown at her, we felt was a, was a really terrible thing to do. So that was a very bad example of, of lies being told. It's not usually so blatant as that. It's more usually um, people just don't really quite take the time to understand the nuance, as Kath said. Um, and it can be complicated. And sometimes we can't always give the full answer immediately. And that's not because we're being ultra secretive. It's just that sometimes it can take a while to work out what the full answer is. So sometimes we have to ask people to be patient. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's an extreme version which you just cited there, but nevertheless, um, one that's completely warranted. But a, a more nuanced ver version or example of what we're talking about is the words the press were using. Um, so we go to chapter five and Kath says, Chapter 5, we've now moved on, the story's moved on, uh, 20th of January to the 22nd of April, and we've gone now to confirm cases from, on the 20th of Jan, 5,578 to 2.65 million around the world. Confirmed deaths were 131 on the 28th of Jan. By the 22nd of April, confirmed deaths were 190,320. It was already out of control. And you say here, Kath, we were never searching for, hunting for, or my personal bugbear finding a vaccine. All year, the papers talked about finding a vaccine as though the thing already existed, maybe in a forgotten freezer somewhere. And our only job was to look hard enough for it. And we never talk that way. We are not some kind of Lara Croft in a lab coat out in search of hidden treasure. Vaccines are not found. Even the world's first vaccine against smallpox was a result of a carefully thought out line of reasoning. Not a happy accident. My goodness me, I can I could feel your frustration last night reading the book and I was sort of, I wanted to scream. I couldn't because the twins were in bed. But I wanted to scream on your behalf. Just, just you're not venting your spleen here, are you? you, you but you are, you are getting, you are exercising this, 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 this in insane level of frustration well yeah i mean that's that's, that's silly yeah I mean, it's true i mean sarah always we used to say oh, we're going to go and find a vaccine today because it's not it's 20 years of sarah's research life and 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 countless other scientists at the jenna institute and of course in all the other vaccine development labs around the world somebody at the same point was making the pfizer vaccine somebody in moderna they, they everyone's trying really hard to really put creative scientific endeavour into making these vaccines using the new technologies we have available to us. So, yeah, the idea that we just picked <laughs> up a flower pot in the back garden and, oh, here's a coronavirus vaccine. Um, it's, again, but it's just words. But it's true that words do matter. Uh, and, and Sarah and I try to be, it's harder when we're doing it off the cuff on a radio show, try to be quite careful in our choice of words to make sure that what we're conveying is an accurate portrayal of things. Yeah, but I would love to be Lara Croft, but, yeah, not quite. Well, I think you're better than any uh, 10 Lara Cross, a million Lara Cross put together. And the thing is about the spoken word, you know, um, the thing about the spoken word is there is, a, there is a nuance in it. There is, there is sort of, there is, um, there is a tacit, you know, beyond, um, uh, beyond words, uh, sense of what people are trying to get across. And I think it's helpful. And that's why the, 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 when you write down, you know, uh, they're trying to find a vaccine, the written word is really strange, which is why, you know, when you get transcripts in court cases, uh, read out by very serious barristers with no context or, or intonation, uh, they can be, they can be misleading. They're naked. Yeah. The truth is naked. But, you know, it, it's, all, it's, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. Let's take some more words from your uh, book here. 
and I'll try and inject as much uh, of the of the um, appropriate intonation as possible. Yeah, you say, in fact, in less than a year, we had produced a vaccine that was very safe, that was highly effective, including in older people, that prevented deaths or hosp hospitalisation after just one dose, that reduced transmissions that could be transported and stored at fridge rather than freezer temperature, and that would be available around the world in huge quantities at low cost. We had made a vaccine for the world. How did that feel then? How does that feel now, Sarah? That, that's really great. When we first started to see what we call the real-world effectiveness data coming from the vaccine, so that's not data from the clinical trials that we've run on how well the vaccine works. It's data on how it works when you use it to vaccinate people initially over the age of 80 across the country and now um, in many other countries as well. And when we started to see that 80% of over 80-year-olds were being kept out of hospital, even after the first dose, and then the, the protection improves after the second dose, that was really wonderful. And going back to the technology that we used to make this vaccine, it wasn't something that we just thought up on the spur of the moment. It's something that we planned. And, and one of the things that we planned about it was that it could be made in very large amounts at relatively low cost and could be stored without having to be frozen. And all of those characteristics make it very suitable for a vaccine that we need to make in large quantities and transport around the world. So that was built into the, the planning of the vaccine before we even started to make it. Well, you know, I've never interviewed anybody for 25 minutes and skimmed the surface of the subject of a book less because these are literally the, the, the commas of the, the outline of the highlights. Um, it is an amazing book. We're not finished yet, ladies. Don't worry. We've got another five minutes. But I just want people... We're talking about, about a book called Vaxxers by Professor Sarah Gilbert and Dr. Catherine Green, the inside story of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine uh, from the two ladies um, whose teams made this happen. It says here in one of Kath's chapters, page 220, when I was a kid, I dreamed of being famous, that I would be on the TV and my photo would be in the Daily Mail. So I decided to become a scientist, said nobody ever. <laughs> so so what did you dream about as becoming as a little girl, Kath? <laughs> I always really loved science because I like figuring out how stuff works. Yeah. Hmm. And that's, I think, what we think of as science doing. And then as you progress through a you know, slightly... Um, wonky career in science. You never really know where you're going. Science changes as we do it. So, so nobody really does a linear path through a scientific career, I don't think. Um, and I, I do really like understanding how biology works. What is it about the chemical reactions in our body and the, and the chemical molecules in our body that make, make this outstanding thing called life? And what I do now for part of my job, this is only a, a part-time job for me, um, is, is, of course, use our understanding of how biology works to make innovative medicines. So using a, a real scientific background to do something really translational, translate other scientists like Sarah's great ideas and figure out how to make them into medicines to help people with, with various um, debilitating diseases or disorders. So that's a, that's a great career. That's a great thing to do for a job as far as I'm concerned. I get to go to work, figure things out, and then use them for benefit. Um, I think what struck us all there, the salient sentence was, it's only my part-time job. <laughs> so that's quite incredible. Um, Sarah, I know you, you, you chimed similar in the earlier excerpts from the book when you talk about having to give press interviews and somebody said, you know, I know, the, I know you know, giving interviews is not your day job. And you said, no, no, the, va the vaccine for COVID-19 isn't even my day job. Um, this is above and beyond. 
anything we thought we'd um, uh, have to do. But of course, in 2018, Sarah, you and your team uh, worked on a, 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 a sort of uh, encoded uh, disease called disease X. It didn't exist, but you knew it would, and it became COVID-19. So presumably there's a disease Y uh, that you're working on now. Well, we're, we need to be ready for disease Y. We need to be as prepared as we possibly can. So we can't do anything specific for disease Y because we don't know what it's going to be. But we've learned a lot in the last 18 months. We've learned where things went really well and we've learned where time could have been saved. Um, it would have helped us a lot if we'd had better tracking of the disease in the UK because uh, you probably remember as well, we heard um, news of the first two cases and they were quarantined and that was all fine. And then there was a, a family that had travelled and there were some cases. And then all of a sudden it was everywhere. And we'd originally been thinking along the lines of if we can get this first clinical trial up and running really quickly before there are many cases in the UK, we would be able to test the vaccine and find out if it works really fast. But actually that didn't happen because it spread so quickly before we had the opportunity to start the clinical trial that then we went into lockdown. And we had to go into lockdown to stop the spread anymore. But that not only made our lives more difficult in running the trials, it meant that when transmission then came down again, there weren't any people being infected for us to be able to um, see if the vaccine was working. So that actually made the whole process of getting the vaccine result take longer. So getting accurate information from all different sources, having better ability to test people uh, would have helped us. And so thinking about disease why we need to be planning for the testing and the tracking and the, how we're going to deal with lockdowns and supplying PPE in future, uh, as well as how we can go even faster with vaccine development. OK, and it's going to happen because that's that's the way nature intended, unfortunately. But it's just a fact of our lives. Thank God we're still here to, for it to be a, f a fact of our lives. And we have a minute left um, Sarah and Kath, um, if you don't mind, uh, Kath, if you can give us this, where do you see COVID-19 in a year, five years and 50 years, if you, if you can? I mean, hopefully in a year it will be under control in the UK. What we really, really need to be focusing on now is getting global supply because there are a lot of countries around the world that are not in as fortunate position as we are and we need the whole world to be vaccinated. So I would really like to see that by this time in 2020, all of the vulnerable people globally have been able to be vaccinated. I think we should all be, be pushing as hard as we can every time we get the chance to say, let's get vaccines to those who really need it. Okay. Sarah can do the next bit, I suppose. All right, Sarah. So let's go 10 years. Well, in 10 years, I think that um, this virus is going to be like the four other coronaviruses that circulate in the winter, and we don't really need to think about them very much. They give us a cold if we get an infection, and then we recover quite quickly. They're only a problem in uh, the very elderly people with uh, immune systems that don't work very well. And in fact, because we've had vaccines uh, now for this particular coronavirus, they will probably continue to be vaccinated. So I think it's not going to go away completely. But in 10 years' time, we will be living with it and not worrying about it. All right, from the book, Getting Yourself Vaccinated Will Protect You and Those Around You From Falling Ill With COVID-19, for anyone still thinking about it, and is the best means we have to bring an end to lurching from lockdown to economic failure via overwhelmed health services. My advice, our advice would be to accept a COVID-19 vaccine as soon as you were offered one. That's what we did. Where did you have yours, Kath? What was it like queuing up for your own vaccine? <laughs> 
football stadium, the Kazam Stadium in Oxford, which was a huge, slickly run centre run mostly by volunteers and fantastic NHS people. And yes, I couldn't resist saying to the lovely lady who was jabbing me, <laughs> I did make this and the nice dude there. Oh, they were both volunteers. Me. It was a really nice and very emotional moment, actually. I bet it was. I hope the yeah. word spread quickly and you uh, received the correct and worthy exaltation. Much deserved. What about you, Sarah? My vaccine was at a hospital site um, in Oxford where they were vaccinating a lot of healthcare workers, um, along with some members of CATS team, actually. We all went on the same day. So we were all very excited to go and get the vaccine that we'd worked on. Thanks so much for talking to us. You're both amazing. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank uh, you. Thanks for fitting us in in between. Guess what they're doing? They're in the labs. They're working on the vaccine. That's what they're doing. Now, that really was a How To Wow, wasn't it? A special pop-up mini How To Wow. 25 minutes of those super wonder superwomen, Professor Dame Sarah Gilbert and Dr Catherine Green and their fascinating book, Vaxxers, which is out now. Thanks for listening. And if you can find a minuscule of further time, please rate and review this episode. And why not dive into some more of our other How To Wow conversations from Momager, Judy Murray, episode 34, so inspiring, to breathing expert James Nestor, episode 20, or runner extraordinaire Paula Radcliffe in episode 38. There's much gold in them there, How To Wow podcast hills. All right, have a great one. Goodbye. <laughs>